For my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot there, and I'm going to focus this morning on verse 8, specifically. Now, I want, to think, I want you to think. I want you to always be thinking. Don't, don't come in here and just listen to my voice and go, Bleh, and just take it. Just, just be discerning, discriminate. Consider what I'm saying and consider the application. Ask yourself, is what he's saying biblical? Is it, is it right? Is it what I see here? Is it from the context? Does it agree with the rest of Scripture? These are the mindsets that we should have when we listen to Scripture and someone teaching and anything else, to be honest. If we're really honest, though, sometimes we just go through life just absorbing whatever sits before us. We take and take and take, and we don't realize we're taking. We hear, we, we see, and we don't realize we're listening. We don't realize we're observing. And it transforms our mind from the inside out. And then that transformation subconsciously, that means without our knowledge, begins to inform our conscious mind. And then we think we are coming to conclusions, and we are acting instinctively, but we're really acting out of what our subconscious mind has taught us based on what we've observed without discrimination. Now, when I say that to some people, especially in the community, not necessarily in the church, they come back to me sometimes and go, yeah, you're right, you know, that's why we stand over here against this. Or, man, you better believe it. That's why we got to stop these people. <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm trying to get us to. Sometimes when we find ourselves in those places, it's evidence that we have actually just absorbed. We become transformed by our subconscious exposure to things, to culture, to ideas, to philosophies, to religion, to theology, to everything, to actions, to beliefs. I was able to get on my tractor yesterday and do some landscaping, if you can call it that, you know. And it's been over a year since I've been able to ride on that thing, because the last time I was on it, I was in a very traumatic place emotionally and physically, deeply infected and in great pain. Didn't realize it. I'd get on there, you know, move it, ride around for about five minutes, get off. I just felt anxious. I didn't think, oh, you know what? I don't ever really get on that tractor again, because the last time I was on that tractor, I was really having a hard time, and there's something related to that experience, you know? Nobody thought that. Nobody told me, you know, when you hurt yourself last year and all that storm and you were moving that dirt trying to keep it out of your pool and all this stuff and, and you hurt yourself and it subsequently caused all these problems, you know, you should probably stay off that tractor. No one told me that. It was my experience and I never understood it until yesterday. The same is true with smells, with sounds, with people. with related experiences, with stories, with certain music. I mean, let's be honest. When you're at the beach and if someone played out of a loudspeaker, da -dum, dum -dum -dum -dum, I mean, you're getting out of the water. I don't care who you are. I mean, it's going to give you at least chills. Or someone screams shark. You're like, ah, I'm getting out of the water. I mean, there's just certain, or somebody yells fire in a, in a, in a, in a hotel or a theater. 
This is what we do. We respond. We react. So the way that we overcome these things, according to the scripture, is the renewing of our mind. We do this spiritually. We do it emotionally in the context of spiritual things. And we're doing it right now. We just don't know it. So to become consciously aware of who we are and where we are and why we are, we need to always be mindful of these truths. And so that every thought, the scripture says to take every thought captive and filter it, what? Through the personal love of Christ. doesn't mean that Jesus has to be at the center of everything in some exposed way. We don't have to cut our grass while singing hymns or, 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 or always be mindful. It's okay to be mindful of the Lord in all things, but it's not necessarily to manifestly and express all of that all the time in all things. We don't have to look to make something spiritual. When I was in my late 20s, I made the comment to a mentor one time that, actually I said it from the pulpit, and a few weeks later they called me on it. I says, everything you do, you do for the glory of the Lord. Is that, is that true? Is that the principle taught by Scripture? Yes. The Scripture says everything you do, whether you eat or you drink, no matter what you do or what you say, do it under the glory of Christ, do it under the glory of the Lord. That means to what? The glory to reveal who He is and that He's actively a part of who you are. His work, His hands, His feet, His word. And I said this excitedly, and I used to walk when I preached because I, you know, I can't get, I've never been able to get that thing to work with this sound system, but, you know, it's probably good. Standing still is better. But I was excited, and I said, you know, even like when you put on your socks, you do it under the glory of the Lord. And I still believe that. I started writing an essay yesterday about socks and how people fold them and how people unfold them and people that sling them out and some people, especially some men that I know who have never folded a pair of socks in their life. I find that strange, but they haven't. So, you know, and, and all sorts of things, but that's beside the point. Socks, you've got socks. Do you know socks are important in the world? The majority of the world don't have socks. And if you can send them socks, I mean, you get socks for Christmas, it's like, oh, you didn't know I was coming, did you? Uh, you know, you forgot about me. You had this pair of socks in the drawer. That's why they're orange. But you give socks to some people in undeveloped countries, you might have saved their life. You give shoes to some people, you've made their life. That's why I used to buy Toms. Remember those shoes? $3,000 for a pair of cardboard with some vinyl on the side of it, some canvas. They're called blisters. That's what they should have named them, blisters. But you buy a pair, and they give a pair to someone in a third-world country. They weren't really that expensive, but they, they weren't worth $30. You, know, you were literally buying two pairs of $15 shoes. That's okay. Shoes are important. Do it under the glory of God. If nothing else, be thankful you have socks. Be thankful you have food. Be thankful you have a watch. Be thankful you have eyeglasses. I went without eyeglasses for about seven weeks last year. Remember that? These were scratched up. Couldn't see out of them. Then I stepped on the other ones in the CVS. It was terrible. It's not fun. All in the same week. And then I scratched these because I was anxious and I was wiping them with a paper towel. Blotting. Don't do that anymore, you know. And in my anxiety, I just sanded them off. It was a cocktail of disaster. Thankful. Most people would be thankful to have scratch glasses that they could see through. But that's not the point today. The point is, is that we are often unaware of anything. Except the thoughts in our heads that are the result of our feelings, emotions, or our programming. And this is completely biblical. Because the Bible tells us to do it all for the glory of God. The scripture here in verse 4 says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The scripture says to let us be reasonable and let our reasonableness be our identity. Now think about that for a second. If we were to walk up to people who knew us, and say, hey, first thing that pops to your mind, adjective about me, what is it? Ugly. Oh, man, second one. <laughs> you know? If they said reasonable, you'd be like, thanks, okay? 
I mean, it's, we're not getting up every day on our dream boards and our goals and, and our journals and writing, man, I just want to be reasonable. If I could just die, a reasonable man. <laughs> no. We want to be powerful. We want to be successful. We want to, we want to leave a legacy. And I was talking about that with someone this morning about, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to stay above the dirt. I'm trying to die well so that the fruit of my life actually becomes fertilizer for the ground around me that other people can grow from my experiences. Yes! But is that really what it's all about? No. That's what it's about. Just be reasonable. Reasonable people don't have statues. They don't have their names in billboards. They're not known. They don't have, they're not influencers in large. But let our reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because nothing that we're doing and nothing that we care about is outside the providential power of God. Nothing. Nothing that we think about is, is causing God to wring his hands. Oh, James, you're almost there. If you just, just see just a little bit more. Yes, he got it. Hallelujah. I've been waiting for a guy like this to get on board with my plans. <laughs> is that God? The word God means highest of all. Elohim, highest of all things. So when the scripture says that Jesus, who became the lowest of all things, out of heaven and the highest of all places, died and then rose to life, that God would exalt him to be above all things. He's literally saying he, he is God. Back to the place where he came. So here is the God of all things, the highest of all things, is God. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. The Lord is at hand. So that's a, that's a command, that's an instruction. Rejoice and do not be anxious. God, you don't know what's going on. He does know what's going on in your head. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your emotions. He knows what's going on in your body. He knows what's going on in your marriage. He knows what's going on at your work. He knows what's going on with your kids. He knows what's going on, and he's known what's going on. He's always known. God doesn't learn. God doesn't look into the future. God doesn't try to find out. God isn't a psychic. He's omniscient. All things are known to him at all times in all of eternity at the same time, all the time, always. Time is a part of his created tool. For us to feel guilty because we're not there on time. Or we didn't give enough time. Or that we're resentful because we wish we had more time. <laughs> and that can be a rebuke or it can be a, a comedy stand-up routine. Whichever one you choose. I'd choose the latter, honestly. Because I think the very fact that we worry about time so much shows that we aren't really understanding the essence of God in time because he is above it. Do not be anxious. And I'm not telling you anything. I'm just sharing everything that I've learned, not just this week, but not just this year, but this life. And it's always going to be like that. I'm no expert. I'm just a couple of hours ahead of where you are, a couple of days ahead. Talking to a longtime friend who's in the faith, in the ministry, and in these next few weeks, he's actually going to step out. He's going to step out. And Lord bless him. Because for the first time in a long, long time, he's going to feel free to do that which he knows is best for he, him and his family and not what the culture would say is wrong because of what they think. And so we are able to talk about these things. And something that they said to me was, you know, I can tell you this because just last year you were there. I've always heard you say, you know, you're just a little bit ahead of everybody else, but I didn't realize how close that was. It's so like first, second, third in a horse race, you know? It's by a nose or a tooth or an ear. A sprint. I mean, the guy that breaks the ribbon, the ribbon's also on the chest of the guy in second and third. And they're running together to the finish line. That's where we are. I, as your pastor, as one of your pastors, is, am not this 
lofty, spiritually mature person. I'm just maturing a couple of hours or days or weeks ahead of you in certain circumstances. Now, there may be some things that I'm way years down the road because of just time. Isn't that funny? But, beloved, we carry one another. We lead by showing the way. We lead. And we have that very example in the lives of the apostles, the foundation of which the New Jerusalem is built upon, isn't it? I remember being told in my mid-30s or early 30s by a mentor, pastor, that if I wasn't happy or having fun in ministry, that I probably wasn't called of God. And I went back and thought to myself, oh, then I guess I never was. Because in that same season of life, I had another mentor who was teaching me to be personally developed a little bit and to not take everything so personal. Uh, and he would say to me, the good news is, James, we get to work with people, but the bad news is we get to work with people. We could say that. We get to worship with people, and the bad news is we get to worship with the people. The good news is we get to marry people, but the bad news is we get to marry people. The good news is, is we have children who are people, and the bad news is, is that we find out they're not people. And then, you know, so on and so forth. Now the kids are listening. They're like, hey, what? No, you're people. But we grow, we learn, and we also digress. I love Paul's writing to the Romans because in that, here's the Apostle Paul, the Ph.D. of Ph.D.s of Ph.D.s, the Jew of Jews, the tribe of Benjamin. Not just was he a Pharisee, but also part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling 70. And you got Nicodemus, who was the primary teacher of the nation of Israel. He was like the teacher of the teachers of the teachers. And both of these men were dumbfounded by the message of Christ. Messiah is not the person that you're presenting. You are not Messiah. That's what Christ means, Messiah. It's just different English translations of different languages, words, the Greek and the Hebrew. And Paul would say, you know, I've, I've, all the stuff that I was, all the maturity that I had, all the theological things that I knew, all of the stuff. And he was right about them, but he couldn't see them, you see? A lot of people are right about their doctrine, but they can't see Christ. And a lot of people can see Christ and never learn their doctrine because they're not students of Scripture or they're sitting under some teaching that's insufficient. And so we see the Apostle Paul and he says, you know, what am I to do? How am I to escape this body of death? Why do I do what I don't want to do and why do I love this stuff? And he says, but the one who's led by the Spirit, who's walking in the Spirit, who's living by the Spirit, is not worried about the things of the flesh. Do not be anxious, he says to the Philippians, but rejoice. That's the, prime, that's the foundation of not, not, not living in anxiety, is to just rejoice. And to remember that the Lord is at hand and that he's got it. Well, how am I supposed to do that? As long as you're asking that question, you're worried about the flesh. That's why sometimes we lay in bed at night, unable to sleep because things are going into our mind. And the worst thing that could ever pop into our mind when we're trying to go to sleep is we can't go to sleep. How can I go to sleep? I wish I could go to sleep. And then you do this treatise, treatise on, on, on sleep. And you pull out the phone. And you read other people who were up on social media thinking about not sleeping. And by the morning, you have everything in order you know how much caffeine to take you know what kind of exercise plan to start you know what kind of meditation to do you know what your prayer life needs to be and your bible study time and how to have some margin all this kind of stuff and that's monday morning wednesday morning you're frazzled because you're living in the flesh instead of just going to sleep now see that's a platitude right you can't really do that it doesn't work that way but the spiritual side of the teaching of scripture and doing what we're going to talk about today is to make sure that in all things, whether we're struggling with sleep or we're really just bent in all sorts of emotional problems, there's one solution when it comes to spiritual things. And let me give a caveat here. Let me give, let me give something very clearly, pastorally and biblically. There's, there's many times where we need therapy. We need to talk to professionals who understand how the body and the mind work together. 
and it is not a sin. And I'm going to say, I'm going to be dogmatic right now. Anyone who tells you that it is a sin, I would flush them down the closest toilet that wouldn't overflow in your house because you don't want that residue. So I can be ugly and funny at the same time. Do not let a spiritual person tell you that it is sinful to get emotional help from a doctor. It's nonsense. Nonsense. Most pastors, including myself, are not therapists. Even though I have a degree in counseling and a lot of applied education in counseling, I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist. And I probably read 20 or 30 articles a week on that stuff on top of everything else I read. Sometimes it's on physics. Sometimes it's on chess. Sometimes it's on jazz. Sometimes it's on something really, really new. Like the origin of rice noodles. I read that this week. Neat stuff. It's okay. Get the help you need. And also learn what I'm going to teach you today. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. See, the reason that we struggle so much in the trying to renew our mind is because we focus on the negatives that need renewal. So let's start there. We start there. The power of thought. Thought influence, influences our behavior. I don't know who said this. This is basic psychology, that, that ideas and observations, they, they create this subconscious awareness that we're not aware of, the scripts and these stories that we're, we're just trained to do certain things because of the way life is. And then these images or these words can create images in our mind which create feelings, and these feelings create actions. There's the fifth-grade explanation of how we're influenced psychologically and mentally and emotionally. It's true of the Bible, it's true of life, it's true of love, it's true of everything that we are. And if we're not paying attention, we just change. We frame things based on our experiences and we don't even know, rather than listening and reframing things based on truth. A power of thought. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. And I preached on this, what, six, eight, six, eight weeks ago. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discriminate what is the will of God. And the will of God, of course, is good and perfect and acceptable. That's, that's Paul's sentiment. He's not saying there are three wills and these are the three types. It's just generally speaking. Solomon, it might be Solomon, but either way, Proverbs 23, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Are you inwardly calculating? <laughs> Other people are. We need to recognize that thoughts are important. So what are we thinking about? Everything. And I, I know some of you, you, you see in your mind images. You see like a movie going on in your mind. It's a constant dialogue for me. It's audible Tippin's voice. Or if you're in that conversation, it's your voice. And if I don't know what your voice sounds like, it's one of those caricatures that I often say audibly. <laughs> There's about a dozen of them. And most of them come from probably movie characters from the 90s or the 80s. I don't know. There's nothing new under the sun. So we think. So whatever we think on, that is going to be where we are. That is going to be what we are, and that is going to be the emphasis of what controls us. So if we're thinking about how we're not in control, then our not being in control is what's controlling us. If we're thinking about not sleeping, then the ability not to sleep is going to be what controls us. If we're thinking about our sin and how we're just not living right, then us not living right is what's controlling us. The Scripture doesn't say to think on those things. The Scripture doesn't say that. Because if I have an anger problem, it's not honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. So why would I spend four hours a day focusing on my anger? Why not get some tools 
and some training and some help or some therapy or some accountability and some spiritual maturity to recognize what causes my anger and change my attitude about it and focus on the positive sides of what makes me happy rather than me being angry. Or I don't have peace or I do have anxiety. I'm constantly worried. I used to live, I lived my whole life until this year worried and didn't even know it. Posturing, yeah, it's all good. It wasn't all good. It's all good golly is what it is. It wasn't all good. Didn't know it. Everything, even the pleasant things of life, even the pleasurable things of life were always embroiled with fear and frustration and anxiety about the outcome or the inference or the implication. Everything was caused. This is no, this is not living. It's not living. People often say, you have to have faith. Okay. Well, tell me how that faith is. Does it keep you out of stress or does it take you through stress? Does it keep you out of pain or does it carry you through pain? Because if you're trying to avoid it, if you're trying to avoid life, (laughs) you're not going to. You're not going to. We're not going to do that. So we've got to evaluate our thoughts. We've got to look at our thoughts, and we've got to recognize the negative and the unhelpful thoughts, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, relationally speaking, because the danger of dwelling on worldly and sinful things matter. And here's what it does. It puts us in bondage. Paul says to the Galatians, he talks about, you've been freed by grace. Why would then you become a bondage to the law? I saw this extremely long, ridiculously silly, um, infantile conversation and debate yesterday on social media about Christians following the Sabbath laws. And I'm thinking to myself, let's just take several New Testament letters out. The Gospel of John, the letter to the Ephesians, the writing to the Colossians, the book of Romans, and 1 John. And let's just cut those out and bind them together and hand them to someone. And ask the question, if they read these five letters and follow everything in there, what about Sabbath are they going to learn? And the, the answer to that is nothing. Nothing. And that's an extreme situation, but do we not do the same thing? Are we not supposed to watch TV? Are we not supposed to, you know, wear black or, or white after Labor Day or whatever? You know, are we not supposed to do that? How much makeup should a woman wear? I don't know. I don't care. And neither does God. Don't wear any. It doesn't matter. Some men, you could do so with some. Can I listen to Leonard Skinner? I don't know. Can you? Do your ears work? Should you? That depends on your conscience. When you hear those things and excite yourself on that, does it cause you anxiety? Does it cause you stress? Does it cause you these misfunction? Does it take you away from focusing on godly things and Christ's things? And how do I know I'm really focusing on Christ-filled things? We'll get to that. That's the punchline of the whole sermon. We've got to... Evaluate these thought patterns. And then we have to embrace the virtuous and the praiseworthy. Let's look at those things. What is it? One, two, three, four, five, six things. Let's look at them very quickly. What is it? True. What does it mean? Truth. Look at what is true. Focus on what is true. Well, what is true? Very little. The script in our subconscious isn't true. I mean, I learned something a couple of months ago about imposter syndrome. And the question was posed to me, what are you good at? And I'm going, nothing. I suck at everything. Can you say that? I'm sorry if I could. I stink at everything. You mean you have nothing that you do well? No, I got a lot of stuff I do like crappy. And that's a terrible place to live. And then when you discover you do do something well, you really feel like a fake because it's so stinking easy. You ever done that? Well, I know so. 
I'm going to hire you for this job. I want you to do this wonderful, magical thing you do. And you're like, man, I'm stealing this guy's money. I just wake up and float into that spot, and boop, it all comes to pass. But you're the only one who can do it. You see, imposter syndrome. It's not the truth. It's not the truth that God has given, that God has not given you gifts and talents. God has given you gifts and talents. And if you're measuring your gifts and talents against mine, go ahead and understand, I think I stink at it anyway, so don't be like me, be better, <laughs> you know? And then that makes it go, oh, wow. So that deprecates myself and deprecates you and makes you feel even worse because you also think you can't do anything well. And the one thing runs to another, and then we're just a bunch of losers sitting together. And we're just a step away from becoming Puritans once again. And God forbid we ever fall down that road. That we have to sing a song that says, step on me, God, and watch me squirm because I'm just a worm. I mean, no. This is not the love of God for his people. Recently I had a conversation with one of my adult children, and they asked the question that, you know, where did I stand in the context? This is going to shock some folks. Where did I stand in the context of what I used to say when they were little? Like, what do we deserve? And they would speak up, hell, the wrath of God. And it was the cutest thing amongst the evangelical church, right? Look at that little girl. Is it true that in God's righteousness that we are guilty? Yes. And do the guilty deserve justice? Absolutely. But is that really what the Bible teaches us about who we are in Christ? No. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. The Bible calls us beloved. The Bible says that because of the love of God for us, Christ entered into the world in a human body that created for himself that he might die so that we would be free and be his righteousness. Change the way you see yourself, beloved. That's truth. And I regret so much having propagated that crap. Ignorantly. You see? Subconscious programming. It's just what we say. It's what we do. It's neat. Oh, yeah, but we're saved. by We are. Don't tell yourself you're worthless. Thank God you're not. What's honorable and, of course, we get into the truth of what is true. We know what fake news is, and we know what fake theology is, and we know what burdens and things. Somebody can take the truth and bind you to it. That binding is a lie, you see. So there's a lot to learn there, but most importantly, learn whose you are. Honorable. What is honorable? Living with integrity and respect. Being reasonable. <laughs> That's honorable. We, but we don't like that. I had a little video, maybe it was yesterday, the day before, put up on YouTube, you know, about how we focus on the negative all the time. I mean, newspapers and news, I mean, even the weather. I mean, it's like play-by-play play of the wind speed. Twelve days. Well, there's clouds in the Pacific. Could it be? Will it be terrible? Who knows? Stay tuned. 24-hour coverage of the clouds in the Pacific. I don't know. I mean, that'd be like live streaming an anthill. These ants are deadly. Look how big the hill is. I bet there's 40 billion ants in there covering miles underneath. Is your child safe? Let's watch and see if a child falls into the anthill and dies. I mean, you know, and it would be the, somebody's going to take that and make millions with it. Going to make millions with it. Watching pure animals and grasshoppers float into the anthill and getting consumed. It's just danger, danger, danger. And we'd film that. But nobody would want to watch a live feed of the asparagus that I've cut down 12 times in the last six minutes. I don't want it anymore. And it just goes, it didn't grow for 10 years. And now it's this high after one night. I don't know what's going on with it. But it's big around as a toothpick. You can't eat that. Live stream of the asparagus growing. Wow, look, one viewer. But it's honorable. See, we're not inclined to watch what is honorable, to read what is honorable. We love true crime, myself included. I mean, Robin and I, we, we digest a lot of old mysteries. 
I grew up reading Agatha Christie because it was the only book on the shelf that wasn't silly. Alfred Hitchcock, loved it. Twilight Zone, I've seen them all ten times, every one of them. Don't argue with me about them because <laughs> you'll never get away. Honorable. We have tabloid syndrome. We love to read the headline that says, oh, new stinky, stinky stuff about somebody real famous. Or maybe just not so dishonorable, but, you know, what did Martha Stewart eat today? I don't care. I mean, what about just? Whatever is just. Advocating for fairness and justice. We should focus on that which is just. Is it just? How are people being treated? What laws are in effect? There are things. So that's a touchy one, isn't it? Because focusing on what is just can just as easily slide, no pun intended, can just as easily slide into being really focused on the negative side of that. So it's about the outcomes, about what is good, not necessarily what is wrong. Do we turn a blind eye to that? No, that would be silly. But do not be anxious. The Lord is at hand. You see what I talked about in the very first few minutes about God sovereignly owning everything? Circumstances, all of it. He may cause us to be actively involved in mitigating some things, speaking against some things, but it's not our every breath. Just like it's not our every breath to be evangelists. I'm sorry. God, there's nowhere in the scripture that teaches us, I mean, that we're supposed to be every second of the day concerned about continually preaching Christ in action. Because if it is, then we're, there's never been a successful evangelist. Because we have other things we have to do, right? Unto the glory of God. And when he opens that door, like if you're getting paid by your employer, they are not paying you to evangelize. But you can, within reason, when you're not being paid to push the buttons <laughs> or to answer the phone. Yeah, I'd like to call about a car warranty. Well, I'm glad you called. Let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, you can do that. I do that some. Click, they hang up real quick. You better not talk about Jesus. What are we focusing on? Are we looking and putting our attention on what is just? How about pure? Moral uprightness and thought and action. Now, let me Oh, don't even get me started. I'm going to say something here that's going to wind some of our thoughts into a place of uncertainty. But I am I'm tired of purity culture. You know what that means? For us that sort of grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Purity culture. Not your eyes or your ears. You know, the monkey. I don't put the finger up the nose. You can't smell evil either. You just want to make sure that there's nothing impure. Well, what is impure? Well, I remember one of the mantras that I lived by as a, as a high school kid. You know, pure thoughts, pure words, pure actions. But then defining what is pure, defining what is impure, is very subjective. So we've got to go back to truth. What is true? Because I'm telling you right now, when it comes to Intimacy to sexuality to entertainment to all sorts of things. Culturally, especially down here in the southeast of the United States, we have really made things impure that are actually pure. And, we, and we've taken things that are impure and called them pure and things that are pure and called them impure. And I think Paul had something to say to Peter about that publicly. <laughs> How about lovely? This is the way I look at it. lovely is to find the beauty of God in what I see. With my relationships and what I see with my eyes. Focus on those things. That's what I was saying. You know, you can look in the world and find some beautiful things. Celebrate them. Celebrate. That's where it came from. I'm not just making stuff up off the top of my head. This is pondering this scripture for myself. How about commendable? Seeking out and celebrating the good in others. Commendable. It's worthy of sharing. Not trash, but treasure. It's worthy of sharing. 
Hey, let me tell you something about Johnny. Hey, let me tell you something about Susie. Let me tell you something about Bobby. And then give something commendable. Give something positive. Because, oh boy, you want to say something negative, just start talking. Because, I mean, we've got a list, right? If you need some negative things to say about me, great. You don't have to look very far. But look through that. And look and peer into the world around us and find that which is something worthy of celebrating. And sometimes when we see knuckleheads getting justice, it's worthy of celebrating. Aha! You got it. But we don't do that from a haughty position. We do that from a position of truth and purity. I hate it that that man or that woman did this. It's good that justice is served and let it go. But see, we don't often do that either. We want more. We want more. So what are some things that we can do according to this text and according to the other texts of Scripture to redirect our thoughts? Let's listen to a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. For those who grew up in like the, uh, you know, the, the Bible clubs or you know, the elementary schools where you did the Christian flag thing you know, or the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I make it a light unto my path, a lamp to my heart, something like that, that I might not sin against God. Y'all remember that one? I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the nation for whose kingdom it stands, and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, all this kind of stuff. And then the American flag, and then all the other things, you know. Go mighty tigers. <laughs> Whatever it is you can pledge your allegiance to. But the Bible says, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not get sin against you. Why? Because when we see the love of God for us, and we know the love of God for us, and we understand the promises of God for us, we are more inclined to walk in a manner worthy of this love. But so easily we forget. Just like in relationships, if we're not constantly pursuing intimacy and reframing all of the things that take place in life, you know, the abundance of knuckleheadedness and silliness and foolishness and wrongness, then we'll never, we'll never find joy and peace and reconciliation. We have to look. We have to seek it out. And so we have to remember why we love somebody. We have to remember why we ever wanted to love somebody. And we have to remember, as we'll see in just a minute, that love is what we do, not what we feel. It's regardless. It's not in spite of others. It's regardless. No matter who you are or what you are, I'm going to love you in this way, A, B, C, D, E. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be committed to these things. And if we're working together in that area, we will not fail. I gave the punchline early. But meditating on Scripture, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have success. Now, we understand the context of Joshua and what he was tasked with. And the promises of God to Joshua were the promises of God to Moses. And the promises of God to Moses, Moses wrote of them and he wrote of Christ. And so we're not seeking some, you know, secondary thing. We're not seeking some spiritual nation. We're not seeking some, you know, experiential essence for us to be as a people we're living life in whatever culture we're living in and whatever day and whatever technologies are in front of us and we're living it by the grace of God and we're walking meditating on his promises to us that never change no matter what changes I mean I'm aging out of things I'm hard pressed into this AI really hard pressed I'm reading white papers and I'm going okay What's, this gonna, what's the implication of this on the mind? And it freaks me out. Because I remember when they came out with cordless phones. And they were always dead. I remember when they came out with CDs. Digital radio. 
so it's an interesting time to live for our generation. It's like we've seen it all. Because when we were young, our grandparents and great-grandparents had those old transistor radios that would kill you. Or those tube TVs that got brighter after a minute. Tin foil, rabbit ears. I remember when those came out. Things change, but God's love doesn't. And change is inevitable, and change is fine. But in all of that change, we have to stand on something that doesn't move. And the only thing that doesn't move, according to the truth of what I believe, is God's love and promises. So we meditate on Scripture. We pray as a means of refocusing. We meditate and we pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, do we do that? We don't do that. But this is how we are going to make ourselves in a place of peace. This is how we're going to surround ourselves in a place of stability. This is how we're going to be free of what the culture and this script that is continually being written on the hard drive of our heads. And this is how we're going to succeed. Two more things in practicality. This is a tough one. Surround yourself with the right people. Now, you don't get to pick all the people but if you don't have positive influences in your life, if everybody that you talk to and everything that you read and everybody that, that gets around you, if they're always honing in, there's only two answers to that. You either need to say, hey, I need you to understand what your negativity is doing so that we can change together. Or you need to say, hey, I'm not hanging out with you anymore because you stink. And it's okay to seek out relationships. But listen, there's nobody perfect, especially me. And especially you and anybody else that may hear that statement. So because I am not perfect, I can't expect you to be perfect. So in the best of circumstances, there's always going to be a little sprinkling of negative. There's always going to be, oops, I did it again. There's always going to be some song lyric that you can throw in there that shows that you aren't perfect. But finally, in all of that, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We've got to do more than just hang out, meditate, and pray. We've got to put action to our understanding. And beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, the way that the Bible commands the church to function is to do two things. One, gather together all who claim Christ. And continue to grow in the knowledge of grace. And while we're together, regardless of anything that takes place, until someone refuses to be corrected in a matter that causes division in the interpersonal relationship of the church, we are to walk together regardless. And when those people decide to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, let's walk together. We've walked together. And then we hold fast to loving people. If there are people in the world who have all knowledge of Scripture, all correct doctrines of grace and its sovereign and free reality, but have not love and sacrificial patience and endurance, regardless, they are not to be considered in the faith. Let me put it simply. Anyone who is condemning bossy, nosy, aggressive, in the name of God, trying to put and parse and disperse. I'm not considering my brother. I don't care what they say about the gospel. But I know many brothers who know the true gospel and sisters who have gotten really ugly in the church. And that doesn't make them unbelievers either, does it? But when they aren't corrected in their love, we're to keep them at a distance. If I have the faith to move mountains, 
but I don't love, I'm nothing. Where's that? 1 Corinthians 13. If I don't have love, I am nothing. Compassion, patience, kindness. You know, the gift of the Spirit. And all I can hear right now is, yeah, but. And you know what that is to me? A clanging cymbal. A gong being banged against my face. There are no yeah, buts in the commandment to love our neighbors and our enemies. And love never insists on its own way, even when it's about theology. What happens when we do these things? We edify each other. There's a virtuous mindset. Personal peace and contentment. Philippians 4, where we are right there. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Beloved, that's what I want. I want that rest every breath. I want that rest every breath. And I have gained some tools in the last year that seems so outside of the norm in the context of the Christian world. But all I can do every time I empower myself and practice these tools is to just go right back to Scripture and see that it's been there the whole time, but I haven't been able to see it. Because I've been running under a program that was not biblical. It was cultural. It was historical. It was imposed upon me. And most, most congregations do. Most denominations do. It's just the way it is. the way we are as a people. We want that law. We want that structure. We want that box. We want to be put in it. We want to be carried along. So when we hit the wall, oh, oh, this is not the way I need to go. We don't want to think for ourselves. And then we're taught to posture and pretend and, and then just in this preposterous way of, of, of being a poser. There's four Ps for you. That we can just, just you know, we're just... Not our own person anymore. We give up autonomy. We give up free thinking. And we never come to the knowledge of the truth because we're always just following after the echoes of other people who we think are right. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to destroy each other. So we've got to challenge ourselves. When we have peace, we'll have enhanced and intimate relationships with others. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That is not conditional. That is absolutely regardless. That's Ephesians 4, by the way. And then in doing that, we will draw near to God. You know, you can't draw near to God unless you're drawing near to others. You can't love God unless you're physically, actively loving others. So are we setting aside some, some time of our day to evaluate and recalibrate our thoughts? Beloved, you've got to schedule thinking. If you're like me, you write down, you write stuff, and at the end of the week you've got so much stuff written on so many different things or recorded. I've got, I looked yesterday, it's got over 300 audio messages in here, averaging 15 to 20 minutes apiece. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I just think I need to delete it because if I listen to them all and I try to categorize them over the last year or so, I'm just going to end up with a whole other three months of just trying to discombobulate this gray matter. And I just don't want to do that. I just want to be where I am, being present where I am. If God wants me to focus on some of those things later, he'll bring them up again in my brain. But it's okay to sit down and say, okay, this afternoon when I get home, I'm going to drink a cup of coffee, drink a glass of wine, drink Diet Coke, drink sweet tea, drink water, whatever it is you drink or whatever it is you do, put my feet up. I'm going to sit for a minute. I'm going to think about the things that I've had on my mind today. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to give 10 minutes to this or 20 minutes or two hours, whatever it is, but you schedule it and you get up. And when you find these things in your mind, you find these things that we're focused on, you need help, you need guidance. Be very discriminatory with who you talk to. Open mic night at the church is not a healthy place. Anybody got something they want to share about all their sins and problems? 
Yeah, I was just letting y'all know. I just dreamt I was going to murder everybody in my sleep last night. So y'all come to my house tomorrow for some fellowship. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, you know, don't tell everybody that. Don't tell everybody you got mad at McDonald's and punched the window. Don't tell everybody you cursed out the, you know, the tax assessor. Don't. Or the AT&T rep or whoever it is that your cell phone service is with. Don't, don't, don't tell it all. Tell somebody. Let somebody walk with you in wisdom. And how will you know? You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their patience. You'll know them by their gentleness. You'll know them by the fact that they'll be listening to you. And nobody else will hear it. <laughs> and then take time to meditate on Scripture. Take a verse. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be on verse 8 for the next few weeks, personally. I'm going to be on this verse and about truth. I'm going to start filtering everything, and I have started doing this, when I think about it, I'm going to say, does it fall into one of these five or six? Nah. Okay, it's not that important then. Is it consuming me? Then I probably should deal something with it. You know, Duran Duran's new stuff, it doesn't fit in there. It's just neat that it's old folks who are actually singing new music. I don't care. The final thing is to seek intimacy. And meet needs through that intimacy. Meet needs. Beloved, not many people can take listening to the burdens of others emotionally and spiritually, psychologically. It takes a lot. And if you have empathy, you want to. If you have hyper-empathy, you are, you are arrested by it. So there's sometimes you have to have boundaries. And some of us are like, oh, my God, there's no way I can help that person move. <laughs> Just take my truck, but I'm not coming. You know, not everybody can do that. It just overwhelms you. It's okay. You do what you can do. You do what's in your giftedness. But do something. Meet needs. Meet needs. And nobody can judge you for the needs that you meet in the way that you do it. Because God has gifted you to be who you are. And he loves you without measure because he gave his son for you. <laughs> and that's who we are. And that's where we are. And if we practice these things, you see, that's how Paul, I'm not, I just preach ahead of the text. You know I do that all the time. Think about these things. And in verse 9, as we close, what you've learned. There's some theology there. There's some doctrinal teachings there. That's what doctrine, I'm going to stop using that. There's some teachings there. There's some things about Christ that are true. There's some things about Christ that the world says that are lies. We've got to get the lies out. We've got to teach the truth. No one comes to faith in lies. They come to faith in truth. Okay? So what you've learned and what you've received and what you've heard and what you've seen, what you've watched me do, how you've seen me relate to people, practice these things, all of them, all of them. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's not a condition for God to walk with you. It just means you will be walking in fellowship like 1 John. You'll be walking in fellowship because your life will be so centered on rest and purpose. You won't have time for anxiety and strife and despair. It will be delight. Quit trying to escape life and experience it with enjoyment. Because there is a whole lot of stuff flying in the air right now that will land right in the middle of that enjoyment. It's going to disrupt it. Get through it and keep enjoying for the sake of Christ who died for us that we might live. Let's live. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the glory that you've shown us. Father, for the beauty of Christ. And Lord, for these simple things, for these practical things that we can learn from the Bible that we so often overlook in the name of deeper things. And Lord, we get so much, uh, we get so much pleasure out of some of the deeper things that we forget that we're not actually enjoying it. Because we're not doing anything. When your word has instructed us to do, to know and to do. So let's, let's not lose sight of that father help us please to not lose sight of that and most of all keep us from guilt and shame keep us from being inundated by those who would seek to do us harm even ourselves and our own thoughts lord that we might be free and father help us to love one another in ways that we've never imagined 
to not be judgmental, but to show compassion. Father, we pray for those among us who are suffering, some who are even suffering, Lord, that we don't even know about. We just, we just don't know. But Father, you know, and you've always known, and you brought them to this place. So, Father, we trust that you will do that, which you've purposed through it. That at the end of it all, we will be thankful, we will be grateful for the journey, this day, part of this experience, as part of your gift of grace, which is ours because of Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.